0: started uh, our little look at um, this fascinating, huge subject of prophecy. And if you remember, when we started off uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that at least a quarter of the Bible concerns itself with events that were filter to each writer as they put their pen to paper. That was the, this, the sort of simple definition that I gave. Of prophecy that it was something that was a uh, filter to the person who wrote what he wrote now when we think about prophecy you know I suppose I don't know what was in your mind when I said that we would be looking at prophecy but obviously Daniel was going to be there somewhere and I would suppose Zachariah was going to be there somewhere and of course John with his great uh, prophetic book at the end of the Bible he would have been there somewhere and quite a number of other people uh, would have come in as well and they are the type of men uh, that we would think about and consult when we think of prophecy but when you think that a quarter of the Bible a quarter or more than a quarter we saw of the Bible is prophetic then we have to come to some conclusion we have to admit that the subject is not confined to these great men that we we think about it's not confined to those amazing prophecies in Daniel it's not confined to revelations and all what that would um, intend uh, to give us but there are other players there are other people who have just as um, amazing prophecies to give us just as important prophecies just as relevant Prophecies as these other great men and therefore if we're going to get the most out of our study uh, of the subject of prophecy then we, mu- then we must also look at some unlikely players in this amazing scene and when you do you will find that the whole of history every part of history is actually outlined in the scripture you know, if it's not in the scripture basically it hasn't happened you know, um, and it's not going to happen but everything that happens is found in the scripture you know what I want to start our journey tonight way back in the dark and distant past uh, where we meet up with the person that Sandra has read about his name is Abraham it, what has he got to say about our situation today, well Abraham uh, was active I would say round about 400, 4000 not 400, 4000 years ago, you know on the, uh, chapter 15 that um, Sandra read for us uh, will probably just outline one day in his life one day in his life. You know, I was listening to R.T. Kendall preaching this week, and uh, he preached on Genesis chapter 15. And he says how much of a, a pivotal moment in the history of men uh, that was. It was a, a pivotal moment in his life, a very critical moment as far as he was concerned, but also for history itself. you know, it is a, a part of something that is woven into the whole fabric of history from day one until the last day when God, as David said in his prayer tonight, will take us home. That's what this book is about and uh, and Abraham is a part of that and it's as I see it um, uh, in our study tonight a very important part, not only for him but for us also who are here tonight. You know, now when we look at the passage, we can see that we have a man who's in a bit of a quandary, and uh, you know, he's, he's perhaps it's a problem that you and I would like to have sometimes. He was extremely rich. We were talking about this uh, last night when we were having did dinner. He was extremely rich, but his problem was he didn't have an heir to leave it to the stranger he didn't have an heir uh, that he could could leave it to Mm -hmm. and his biggest problem is that someone outside of his family was going to benefit from him dying Mm -hmm. this man called Eliezer he was a man who was yes he was within the confines of the family but he wasn't a part of the family Sarah was barren She, she hadn't given him an heir and therefore all his wealth was set to go to a person who was outside the family and it's quite alarming for Abraham he's quite concerned you know you would be as well he's disappointed that someone else is set to benefit from his and inherit all his wealth now he did a very wise thing I think when you read this passage he took his quandary to God you know, he took his, you knee know, Lord, what's going to happen now? You know, I've got all this money and all this wealth and all these animals and all this, that, and the other. And Eliezer is waiting for there like a vulture, <laughs> waiting for me to pop off so that he can have it. What's going to happen? So he takes his quandary to God. Of course, it's the best place. I have to take your quandary too. You know, and in fact, all your quandaries. Take them all to God. You know, he's with them for everything. He will perfect those things that concern us, says the psalmist. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, no doubt, ye will have the answer to your quandary. Mm-hmm. You no, know, you might not like the answer that he gives you, but at least he'll have one. So he's better off than you. Because a quandary means you don't know what to do. So you go to someone who knows what to do and he tells you what to do. Mm. As I said, sometimes he doesn't go, sit very well mm. but at least he's got an answer mm. which is more than you have. Mm. It's always the wisest move to take your problem, your quandary to God and go with Him. Mm. That's what I found in my experience. Better to go with Him, not Agreeing with him but to go against him. That's what I found uh, to my cost on a number of occasions. And of course, we know that Abram did go with him. After a
1: while.
0: After a while. You know, in the end, he went with God. Now, Genesis uh, 15 outlines the story of what Abram uh, faced God with this quandary with some amazing results. Because God came up with the answer, an amazing answer. First of all, he promised him a son from his own body. That must have been such a, a thrill and a, a joy for him to think it's not going to be Eliezer, Stand down, boy. You're not getting anything. I'm going to have a son that's the first promise that God gave to him the promise of a son from his own body but as you read further on he goes further than that and says that this son will become a very great nation and in fact he takes him outside and says if you can count the stars then you can count the descendants that will come through your son that's another amazing thing you know, because he, you know, some of us, I don't we worry or what. Uh, but um, you know, especially uh, men who are all daughters, the name dies out, doesn't it? The name dies out. You know, the fact. Can you imagine a world without drag you
1: know,
0: it's difficult to imagine. So all us men are a away to get sons on the planet. Right, and some of us succeed. And others don't. You know, others don't. You've got to get our name. You know, out there. Carrying on, perpetuating through history. You know and Abraham was beginning this amazing promise. That his name will grow over the, all the earth. In fact, the promise he had in chapter 12 was that through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You know and it's going to be through his son, Isaac, and then through his descendants... You know and he had one son isaac had two sons and then jacob sort of lit the bomb and it blew up into uh, into nothing uh, nothing he can ever imagine abundant as the stars in number and more than that there was another promise and that is a homeland and i don't know if you noticed as sandra was reading the promise of the homeland but it was from the Nile to the Euphrates which hasn't been fulfilled yet so there's going to be an awful lot of miserable people in the near future when God actually fulfills His promise to Israel that will cover all that you know it's going to be some uh, tears shed they think you know they think that uh, Israel are interlopers in the Middle East now wait until they own it all then we we'll see some uh, fur flying. Now that was good news. That was something wonderful. I've taken my country to, to the Lord, says Abraham, and he's promised me a son, he's promised a nation from that son, and he's promised a homeland. You know and Abraham would have rejoiced in that. He didn't know how that was going to work. You no, know, as God was talking, he could have cast a slight glance to his wife and saw an old woman who was past the age of bearing. He could have looked in the mirror and saw an old man that didn't care that his wife was past the age of childbearing. Uh, but he didn't know how it would happen. But one thing he did know is that God would do it. How? I don't know, but he will do it. You know, and um, of course, he made a few mistakes on the way. Uh, but the Bible says in this chapter, he believed God. Mm. He trusted God. Mm. God had promised, and therefore the outcome was sure. Do you would to be great if we all have faith like that. Mm. But when God promises us something, that we can rest on it, and we can walk from it, you know, we can sort of walk in the light of it. God has said this, so it must be right. It must be right. God had promised, and the outcome was sure. And of course, this is the moment, and this is why I believe this is a very critical passage of Scripture. This is the moment when God established the greatest truth that any one of us has ever come to understand there is nothing greater that you will ever hear or know or believe or understand than what God shows us in this chapter it's the truth of justification by faith justification by faith verse 6 says He believed in the Lord and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. You know, that is the most important sentence that you and I will ever come to understand. You know, this is the very place that Paul goes to when he begins to print or to pen the words of Galatians that we've heard read tonight. Where does the, um, the, sort of the hub of Galatians come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 We've just spent four, 4 years studying the first 8 chapters of Romans What is the axle of the book of Romans? It's Genesis chapter 5 and verse 6 Justified by faith alone In Christ alone That's where Paul gets it from it's not because Abraham was better than us, or that he did so many things, or that he was circumcised. It was that he trusted God. You know, and that's what we've learned over the last four years in the in the book of Romans. It's not that we are holier than anyone else, or better, or have or more righteous, or more upright or more charitable or more loving or more giving it's all because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that's and that alone is what saves us and sanctifies us and keeps us and guarantees us eternal life comes from you it comes from you who would have thought that a God talking to an old man over in in Palestine 4000 years ago would have such an impact on us today in 2019. Abraham. Wow. Wow. But, unfortunately, there was bad news. There was bad news attached to this promise. You see, to confirm God's promise, God had to enter into a covenant. You know, when we listen to Sandra Reed our passage of scripture, there are parts of it that weren't very pleasant I don't know about you but um, I'm not a lover of cutting animals down the middle and putting them on one side and having a like um, a pathway of corpses doesn't do it for me to be honest um, but of course the word covenant or when you um, make a covenant the Hebrew word means to cut a covenant you cut a covenant and that's, this is what we are seeing here God is about to make a covenant. He's about to cut a covenant with Abraham. And of course, covenants are to be ratified with blood. With blood, with sacrifice. And that's what we can see here. God entered into a covenant with Abraham and so a sacrifice was needed. And there it is. Along in two lines. Half of the animal, this side, half of the animal that's side, and of course it says he didn't they didn't cut the birds it what significance that is I don't know but that's uh, uh, very very good wonder that that's not a part of what I'm, what I'm interested in but you know when we look at this moment this was going to be for Abraham a very traumatic experience and in fact the words that he used are, are quite alarming you see what it says when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and behold horror and great darkness fell upon him and then God said no certainly now you know, he's just had this amazing news that his descendants are going to fill the earth almost. they're going to explode into life then god says no certainly that your descendants those same people will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom they serve i will judge afterwards they will come out with great possessions and so the journey of prophecy begins. You're at the threshold of world history. And from there on, it's going to flow the way God says it's going to flow. That's basically what prophecy is. You know it's uh, as I said on a Sunday morning, it's almost like uh, time in reverse. God can see it. He's, he knows the end from the beginning. And prophecy was about to begin. And basically, prophecy is the history of Israel. That's our interest. The history of Israel. You know, when we look at our own history, as you know, we've seen history being made. You know, if the world goes on for another thousand years, the Twin Towers will be a part of history. Brexit will be a part of history. When we come out with no deal, it will be a part of history. (laughs) You know, and all these things would be set in and you know what I mean, we could say I was there. I was there. But you know when we think about it, Brexit, the twin towers, in my mind, they all revolve around Israel. The first world war revolved around Israel. The second world war revolved around you you cannot take Israel out of any historical fact that you know, it's incredible. It's incredibly this this little nation, and it's the most insignificant. Have you seen a picture of the Middle East and the Arab countries and the and Israel? You'd be up, almost at great pains to try and find Israel amongst the whole thing, and and yet it is so influential in everything, in every uh, line of life, every sort of region of life whether it's science or art or culture or history it's all there in israel so israel and history is basically the history of israel and of course the progress of messiah because this is what it's all about this is what it's all about this is why god chose abraham and god chose Israel and God has enclaved Israel in his in his breast because he wants his Messiah to come to the earth, to go to the cross, to take away the sins of, of humanity. And then of course since then history has about been about the progress of the Messiah as he prepares to come and land not on Golgotha now, but on the Mount of Olives in triumph so we have him in um, shame on the cross we have him in triumph on the, on the Mount of Olives there's two sections of history two sections of prophecy leading up to the first coming leading up to the second coming so it's all about Jesus history is all about Israel it's all about Jesus, it's all about God and what he is doing among us never get, never stray away from that you know, three books might not uh, see it that way. But I do. I do. Mr. Blow, remember Mr. Blow? he put me in my place if he was here. You know. But I'm taking for coming from God's will you? Now, um, the progress of Messiah bringing him to Golgotha and then to the Mount of Olives. Now notice in this prophecy that God warns of the affliction of Egypt. It's quite high profile. And when you read it, you might get a little confused. Because we have to be very, very careful when we study God's Word. Because, you know, I I think there's so many angles that you're going to look at. It's almost, almost impossible sometimes to give a definite this is it. Because there's an angle over here which will show you something else. And this is what I found with with this, God warns of 400 years. I mean, I'm not the right one. 400 years. Now, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 17 that the time between Genesis chapter 15, which we are reading, which we just talked about, and God giving Moses the law was... 430 years. Mm -hmm. 430 years. Listen listen to what uh, Paul says. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, Mm -hmm. cannot annul the covenant, but was confirmed by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. 430 years from Abraham to the end of the Exodus. Right now, I don't know where you stand with how long Israel was in Egypt, but in my opinion, if it's 430 years between, if they're gonna stay there for 400 years, they're gonna have to shift, if you think about it. So we are looking down through the history from this experience of Abraham, and we are virtually looking at the history of Israel are set out here in God's promise. Now we know that the law was given when Israel left Egypt. And we know that God promised 400 years of affliction. Now what we're gonna try and do tonight is find out or discover when the 400 years of affliction actually started when did israel become afflicted now for the maths to work out <clears throat> it must have begun 30 years after this incident that we're looking at and then after that 30 years there would be 400 years of affliction and sojourning in a land that wasn't there obviously we to put that in as well so, it took an awful lot of working out this. Uh, but put simply, Abraham was 75 76 when he had this promise. And yeah, the promise of the Son, under the nation, under the land. You know, and um, this promise that things would go wrong as well. And then, at 86, he had Ishmael. Ishmael, the child of the flesh and then when he was a hundred he had Isaac who was of course the child of promise so we are looking at twenty-five, twenty-four, twenty-five plus twenty-six years between the promise and the birth of Isaac now notice we are only four years away from the start of the affliction otherwise we can't fit it all in we're four years away from the start of the affliction and uh, now if we go quickly to Genesis chapter 21 you see the event that I believe was the start of these 400 years and in chapter 21 of Genesis and verse 8 this is what we know the story and so the child grew, it says, Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, whom he had born to Abraham, scoffing. Listen to it again. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast. On the same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Ada mocking, mocking. Now, isn't it amazing that Sophie read Galatians 4? I don't know why she read it, but I want to read a verse from it. Right? Because Paul in Galatians 4 actually brings up this event that we are looking at as he talks of the Spirit being continually antagonized by the flesh. In fact, Paul is always talking of the spiritual being provoked by the physical. You know, and even Jesus, remember, in the, in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, he talks of the Spirit being willing, but the flesh being weak. There's an antagonism between the Spirit and the flesh, or the flesh, and the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul says this, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. You know, when you put the years together, I don't know what weaned means. Um, you know, uh I hear stories of of mothers feeding their babies until they're five or six. You know, it, my my grandmother, one of the children should bring his, his own stool. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that's that's I scott and folklore, but you know
1: <laughs> but
0: they were so big they should bring their own stool to, to feed at the next mess. So weaned, I don't know. But um, in its that it all comes to fruition at this moment, and it is 30 years there or thereabouts. And then that moment, to the giving of the law, is actually 400 years. So we have our 430 years. And I would say that it was at this point when the spiritual. Seed become antagonized by the physical seed that Israel began their time of affliction. They also, their time of being sojourners in a land that wasn't their own. They are now 400 years from the promised land or from the promise of the promised land. And for the next 400 years, they will be nomads. They will be driven by enemies they will be overcome by nations until moses comes along and sets them free that's what we're looking at because as we progress through genesis uh, we come to or we have abraham of course then of course we have isaac then we have jacob then we have joseph now this is all within the 400 years you can imagine how long these uh, sort of time scales are because these people used to live until they were, you know, um, old.
1: <laughs> just, to, you know, just to say the,
0: the word. Ah, uh, by Isaac, is it? Joseph. Joseph, of course, and then Egypt. So we can see that uh, a lot of this 400 years has been eaten away by the progress of the children. Of Abraham. You know and. Um, I would say that. Uh, scholars have, have worked it out that. The next 215 years. Egypt. Was. The slave master. Of Israel. They were there for the 250 years. Until Moses. Is sent by God. To rescue them or to redeem them. From the slavery of Egypt. Which is Exactly what God says to Abraham. No, the nation that you serve, I will judge. You know, and this is the, the time that they went into servitude to um, to Egypt. And of course, we know that when Moses came, God judged them with with 10 amazing graves and then destroyed their army in the Red Sea. You know, and therefore, you know, that uh, can only be described as the fulfillment of God's promise now Exodus chapter 3 says and if and I have said I will bring out, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of, K- of the Canaanites I'll read that again and I God has, have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Job done! Job done! Or oh, could I say God's promise to Abraham fulfilled! They're on their way to the promised land. It's only down by there. Or up by there. It's only up by there. How long is that going to take? It's so, yeah, only a hundred or so miles. You know the, the, the Jews on the 1967 Mm. reached there in a day with tanks of course Mm. but they reached there in a day they chased the Egyptian army back to the Red Sea or to the River Nile and stopped and said oh don't you take them in our land again Mm. a day Mm. this promise of God fulfilled but then or is it or is it You see, the principle of the flesh attacking the spirit which started with Ishmael is set to dog Israel all through its history and is as prevalent today in our lives and in their lives as it ever was. You see, as soon as God outlines his plan Satan works on a strategy to thwart it. We see it in the garden The plan is for a son to come and bruise the head of Satan. So what does he do? He brings anger between the two boys. One of the sons is murder and the other son is exile. Straight away. Straight away. And you'll notice that whenever God moves, there will always be something that will come to spoil that move. You know, I wonder sometimes what, you know, David and myself and um, Christine, and we're from Chidakweil, Soviet Israel, born and bred in Vale. 1904, the revival came to Vale, mm-hmm. And if you read um, stories about Gossan and um, Libanus and Kerbaria and Zohar, you will read the story of churches that were bursting at the seams in 1904. Mm. The hundreds of men and women, thousands perhaps, being born again in moments mm. of time in 1904. Mm. 1905, mm. the biggest Cambrian explosion up until that time. Mm. The, the, the bright side, an awful lot of the men, had been born again in 1904. The downside, mm. the revival fell flat into the field. You wonder sometimes what our lives would have been like as we have grown up, when you look up there now and you see Libanus is a boys club, mm. Bossa is flats, mm. Calvaria doesn't exist, mm. and um, Zoa is an old people's zone. What would have happened? But something happened because The plan of God in that area, not everywhere, but in our area, unfortunately, it was thwarted. And it'll be, and the Satan will try to thwart all the time. We see it there in the garden. We see it with each Old Testament prophet. We see it with Christ. Remember when uh, Jesus was baptized, and God, and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The plan of God. Sort of released into uh, the human realm. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets driven into the wilderness. What does he do to face Satan and his temptations? Always. Always. It's always there. You no know, wonder the, the, the attempt of save, save, Satan to thwart the plans of God. And of course, as Christians, we are to expect that. You know, when I baptize people, I warn them of that but yes this is going to be a wonderful time as you go through the waters of baptism it's going to be amazing but expect expect something to come and rob you of your joy or rob you of the experience be aware and don't let him take it from you whenever we do something for God that reaches out to the lost we will find distractions disappointments and sometimes even full-blown disasters so we've got to be careful but now we just left Egypt and the fountain is in the hand of Moses
1: <laughs>
0: <coughs> I was going to say
1: there?
0: <laughs> he looks more like Ivar Ivar does but um, shouting to his friends and family He's overcome Pharaoh and this great multitude of people leave their bondage and escape into the wilderness. Loaded with goodies, by the way. I hope you've noticed that as you read the story. Loaded with goodies. Just as God had said, the prophecy of Abraham had given to Abraham um, and uh, is fulfilled uh, in Exodus. But every woman shall ask of her neighbour namely of her who dwells near a house articles of silver and gold and clothing and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and so so shall they plunder the Egyptians it's great isn't it God is amazing he's a he's a thief <laughs> but he's a good thief he's a thief in a good way and so we come to um, I don't know where I'm going on.
1: I mean, as we come to number 40
0: yes, as we come to number 40 that's it, as we come to numbers 40 the spies have just returned from spying <laughs> spying in Canaan and some of them bring home some a bunch of grapes
1: <laughs> can you
0: imagine a bunch of grapes
1: can you imagine taking Adam to the him and
0: putting it on his uh, on his locker you want me to see him for a fortnight? It's amazing. That's what Caleb and Joseph would have had to put a branch between that to carry it home. They came with reports of hope and blessing. But of course, 10 of them came with something different. There was giants in the land. There was giants in the land. And they talked of impossibilities. You know, the sad thing about this is that the land, they had been in the land. The land was in their grasp. The fulfillment of the great prophecy given to Abraham some 430 years earlier was there to enjoy and to inherit. But they, unlike Abraham, couldn't believe God. They couldn't believe God. Now, go back 430 years and we have an impossible situation of an old man with an old woman believing that God would bring a son from his own body. And here we have 10 men who look at the joys and the pleasures of Israel and they witness the greatest moves of God that any nation has seen. And they still can't believe that God mm. is able to bring them into the land that he had promised mm. some 430 years be before. They couldn't trust God mm. to fulfill his covenant with them. Pray that we would never get about this, but mm. we wouldn't trust. We, yes, yeah, God has said it, but is it true? Mm. Will it really happen? Is it possible? But God has said to die, but is it really true? Wouldn't it be awful if we got to that place? Better for us to shut the door and go home. And so we have the beginning of punishment. Punishment. Now we've had we've had four four hundred years now of a friction. We've had a little bit of respite getting from uh, Egypt to Canaan and now we're going to experience punishment we have had punishment from God before mm. it's been affliction from people but now it's going to be punishment from God mm. and this is the punishment God speaks to them and says but as for you your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity Mm. until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Mm. And now, Mm. this is where it becomes very significant. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, which was 40, Mm. for each day you shall bear your guilt for one year, 40 years. Thus you shall know my rejection. Now notice the principle, for every day you will be punished for a year. For every day you will be punished for a year. And of course we know that that's exactly what happened. 40 years of wandering, wandering, Wandering until every adult that left Egypt except for two died in the wilderness. And notice the significance of the punishment. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year. So God, in God's punishment one day equals one year. Now this is an important principle in, this, in uh, prophecy. One day equals one year. Now Moses had a promise. In fact uh, it was a glance into the future just like Abram did. And uh, just like Abram, it would have shaken him. Rigid. and he had the difficult, you've seen that, do you watch bake off? I've got the difficult task. <laughs> and I love the bake off exercise when I've all felt this. I've got the difficult task. <laughs> of telling you who's going to go home tonight. And, Ab- and Moses had the difficult task of telling the children of Israel. And I'd like you to turn to Leviticus chapter 26. Not really, you, you, I'm going to turn there, but um, if you want to follow in the scriptures, Leviticus chapter 26. Because in that passage, I put it on the screen there so you are not get to worry anything. I'd like you, yeah, you know, in Le- Leviticus 26, I want you to notice a very, very, very stern warning. Repeated four times. Of course, my father always used to say, God says something twice, sit up and listen. He says it three times, you better be on your guard. He never went before. <laughs> but I should imagine that repeating something four times is even more extreme than repeating something once. It's repeated four times, given to Israel by God through his servant Moses. Verse 18 And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times for your sins now if you've got a Bible that's got the word more in it do what I've done on the screen across it because that shouldn't be there the word more right that's all it says in the the Hebrew was after all this if you do not obey me then I will punish you seven times for your sin verse 21 then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me I will bring on you seven times praise seven times of praise according to your sins cross out the all it doesn't exist and then verse 23 and if by these things you are not reformed by me but walk contrary to me then I also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you seven times for your sins. And then verse 27, And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Get the feeling that God wants seven times to be a sort of... uh, implanted in your mind when it comes to this seven times seven times now at the time when Moses wrote this book the Jewish year was 360 days and I think this seven times it means seven years seven years now if you remember I just said that one day equals a year the punishment of God One day equals a year. If you've got a calculator and you multiply 7 by 360, then you will come to 2,520 years of punishment. Now, we've seen in our... Uh, said in Emmanuel over the years that God is quite consistent when it comes to punishment. He's got three moves, only three moves God has. <laughs> three moves. First of all, there's, I'm so what's that Come up then?
1: That's <laughs> <As> punishment. <laughs> that should have come
0: up earlier. But, um, having said that, here they are. Famine. God punishes his people with famine. And we've seen that in the book of Ruth. We see it in the book of uh, Jordan. Mm. We see it quite a number of times through the scriptures. And it has been uh, an enduring theme in, uh, in Bible and Biscuits. That famine, if, uh, if Israel is in famine, then it's obvious. Right? We see it with Elijah as well. It's obvious that they have backslidden and God is with them. The rain, that's what he warns us. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, I'm going to send you the rain from heaven, but if you go after other gods, I'll stop it. So, famine was a punishment. Uh, that's real punishment. Of course, if you went to the book of Judges, it's uh, invading armies. Remember, every time they went off the rails, God would send an invading army in the Midianites, the Philistines. You'll go in and pinch all the food from. That's what Gideon was all about. So we have another way that God punishes his people if they go off the rails. One is by famine, one is by invading armies. But the other one, and most importantly, I suppose, is expulsion from the land. Joshua chapter 23 says this When you have transgressed, the covenant of the Lord our God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. You see, God warns Israel. Everything that has come on Israel is their own fault. God has warned them continually. About being faithful. him, we've said tonight that God is faithful to us. And he never isn't anything else but faithful to us. But what he's looking for is us to be faithful to him. And Israel, if they had been faithful to him, would have had a blessed time. But they didn't. And they suffered famines. And they suffered invading armies. But they suffered expulsion from the land. Now what I talked last time about the fact that after many years, Israel in 1948 returned to the land that they had been evicted from because of the judgment of God. You know I talked a few weeks ago about this guy. Do any of you know him? His name is Lord Balfour. Lord Balfour. He was uh, in the British government in the First World War. As I said earlier... And even the First World War is about Israel. And here he is, declaring that Israel would have their own land. Mm. It was an amazing moment for the Jews that that Israel, that the British government had declared that Israel or Palestine would become a land for Israel. Never good Nezah there he is Nebuchadnezzar now he um, I don't know I don't think Nebuchadnezzar should have come up there to be honest I think I leave, it, I leave him for a minute We get him out of the way <laughs> <laughs> you know um, I, I got over here in 1917 this man got up and developed a land in the Middle East for the return in Jameson so site, which of course we will soon see. happened in 1948 when Israel was reborn in a day. So Israel are in the land for the first time. Since when? Since when? When was Israel in the land last? That's the question we're going to ask the, the Bible tonight because this is what Moses has told us. Isn't it strange? And Moses could tell us when how long israel would be out of the land how long were they going to be out of the land two thousand five hundred and twenty days now the first person to ex- expel the jews from jerusalem was this guy Nebuchadnezzar and that's when israel or the jews would left jerusalem he invaded and took them captive where they would remain for 70 years and the Jews have never been in control of Jerusalem since that date they've never been in control of their own city since the day that Nebuchadnezzar took them out of it in 6 three B.C. Now they've been back. They were there in the time of Jesus. But they weren't in control. The Romans were. They were there before Jesus. But they weren't in control. The Greeks were. They were there before the Greeks. But they weren't in control. The Medes and Persians were. Some of them have been in since Christ. But they weren't in control. The Ottoman Empire was. You see the Gentiles have reigned and ruled in Jerusalem since 603 BC. 603 BC. But then in 1917 Palestine was officially bequeathed to Israel. And if you count back from 1917 2020 years you will get 603 BC. It's incredible. I'm, I'm blown away by all this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. It's all new to me. And uh, I don't know if you are as excited as I am, but I'm really excited to see how, how history is up, is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. How, the outworking of, uh, of God's plan. The, the, the distance between Nebuchadnezzar is two thousand five hundred and twenty years now I don't want to brag but anybody know what happened on this date
1: December 8th
0: so you born. December. Huh? Well, well, just forget about the year and look at the date you born? I, was born. I was born this is my birthday what? December the 8th it actually happened 34 years before <laughs> I was born but at least it was my birthday
1: <laughs> huh? hmm
0: you're young. I was. <laughs> I'm in your right? oh. Now, can you imagine that in 1917, when, me, when, Balfour declared that Israel would have its own land, um, a man by the name of um, General Allenby, mm-hmm. and if you can remember last time I talked about the, the prophecy that birds would fly over Jerusalem, and protect Jerusalem and evict the invading armies well this is the guy that sent the planes this is the guy that sent the planes and what he did when he sent the planes was drop leaflets telling the Turks, the Muslims to flee and on December the 8th he dropped the leaflets and on December the 11th he marched into Jerusalem through the Jaffa gate which had been shut for 900 years years and he in great respect for the city and perhaps in great respect for the fact that he was fulfilling prophecy he got off his horse and marched in by foot and that's a picture not a very good picture there, there is real you know sort of uh, path names on it but uh, it's difficult to to see it really but that picture there is B walking into the Jaffa gate of Israel and for the first time there was no Muslims there. Mm-hmm. They had gone. They had been defeated. And that became the moment when Israel started to regress back into the hands mm-hmm. of, Jew- of the Jews. Mm-hmm. You know And from that moment on, mm-hmm. the 12 tribes of the Jews have gone back into Israel in 1948 of course the, uh, the nation they became a nation in 1967 they became rulers of Jerusalem for the first time since Nebuchadnezzar can you imagine it's happened in your David. it's happened in my I can't get over it of all the thousands of years that have gone it's happened in my head. I'm over the moon with it I am. I'm gotta be honest I am over the moon with it and uh, here he is he said they shut up that gate, the, the, the Muslims, they shut up that gate, but Alabi opened it I remember what's them saying, uh McPherson first and when we went there first. Alabi opened it up and marched in there and owned it. <laughs> he was a great preacher as <laughs> You
1: know, thus ending the
0: rule or not ending it but giving it the death knell of the rule of the Gentiles over Jerusalem, the times of the Gentiles, which is a phrase we, we get used to as we go through this is coming to an end They're coming to an end and God is going to, his people are going to reign yeah. in Jerusalem forever yeah. and he's going to come and reign there forever and ever and all that now to finish, the dates the dates are so important 1917 1917 1917 uh, well, let's go to the first one. The first one is for the Muslims, this date was 1335. Now, that's not going to make much impact on you because we haven't dealt with Daniel yet. Mm. But when we come to David, though, the David straight away knew because he, he <laughs> dealt with Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Right? 1335 is a big date in Daniel's prophecy. And in fact, one Jew in the 18th century said, The Jew that lives till 1335 is a blessed Jew. What happened? This was the moment that Allenby walked into Jerusalem. For the Muslims, it was 1335, the year that Daniel prophesied. For the Jews, it was 2,520 years after they had been initially evicted From their beloved city, which Moses prophesied. And again, for the Jew, it was also the 24th of Kislev. Now, you know the the months of the Jewish months bear no resemblance to our months, Mm. starting or finishing. But the 24th of Kislev, if you went to Haggai chapter 2, you will notice that on three or four occasions, he mentions the 24th of Kislev and on which of course is the Feast of Anuka no why is it the Feast of Hanukkah? because in 167 BC on the 24th of Kislev um, the Maccabees in, uh, destroyed the Greek Antichrist Epiphanes and cleansed the temple you know, 24th of Kislev is a very important date for the Jews and for Christians alike. And as I said, they made that the Feast of Anubar. And then, on the 24th of Kislev, nineteen seventeen, Jerusalem began to revert back to them. It's incredible. I think it's absolutely incredible. Now then, my question to finish off, can you chalk all these things down to coincidence?
1: or you would you be a fool